0: teach me to dance, will you? Dance? Did you say dance? Come on my boy.
1: been it's been a quiet day isn't it a quiet day in the spotathlon news world yeah nothing nothing what's happened apart from the whole race being cancelled oh a 24 hours of pain my friend yeah i hope you feel about that as low, as low as the cows in the field yeah yeah yeah
2: and there's an announcement from the uh well, actually, it was, Dora. An, it was more of an announcement by Dr Dora, wasn't it? Dr Dora and James Ellis. That's Fingers a, on the pulse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's uh, the Greek government announced a limitation on athletics events of 100
1: people. It all started when the Scots said, no more parties coming back from Greece. We've had enough. <laughs> That's what kicked it off. And they
2: retaliated. The, the, the party, the party plane is going from, ah. uh, from the Greek islands into uh, Glasgow. Yeah,
1: and, um, that shot Alistair Higgins off <laughs> in his Irish passport, and that was it. No more race. Oh, what a disaster! Yeah, um, all rolls yeah. over to next year, though. Yeah, uh, they haven't made that announcement. So
2: top far. of the waitlist, Daz. Still fourteenth on the waitlist, mate. Fourteenth <laughs> on the waitlist. <laughs> yeah, I think probably quite a lot of disappointed sport athletes out there in the uh, ultra-running sphere at the moment. But, um, I mean, I guess they they didn't have any choice, really, did they? Not much else they could do. Um, But, yeah, it's it's sad. Sad for all concerned. And, yeah, it's a sad kind of uh, state of the
1: COVID world at the moment. But what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's difficult. The, The international racing always felt very precarious, didn't it? So we had a lot of friends in Japan, our dear friends in the States. And, you know, it was always looking unlikely for those guys. Yeah. So that, that felt pretty tough that the race may have gone ahead. You know, some, some great competitors yeah. not there in the first yeah. place. So that, that, was, that was tough to handle. But, um, yeah, so I think for international races... We need to kind of get over that hurdle. People need to be able to travel a bit more freely. So, mate, I think it's going to be more local races, isn't it? Or local stuff, yeah. yeah. Which I think the, the demand for local ultras in the
2: UK has gone bananas, is not
1: it? Absolutely
2: bananas. bananas. People yeah. desperately trying to get into whatever events are, are left on the calendar. Yeah. There's still some spaces in the Lee Valley 50K. Is it? Is it that? There's
1: still some. Not many. I'd be surprised Saturday. by the end of this podcast if there's any left. Saturday, the 21st of November. Yeah. Get places, in there quick. Get in there quick on the uh,
2: race director. Yeah. Uh, Place is selling fast.
1: You you said you wanted to cap it at a thousand, didn't you? And I said let's rein it in a bit more like sixty.
2: Sixty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sixty is probably over. Uh, maybe a hundred. A hundred might be a no. little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think we've got sixty or so at the moment, and uh, yeah, hundred no? But uh, yeah, we've got a true—I mean, as everybody we've had on has been a legend. But I think this week's guest is taking it to a new level of legend. Yeah, um, reaching into the very first edition of Spartathlon in 1983 with the uh, the, the ladies' winner um, and first
1: Brit. Was she first Brit? She wasn't first Brit. There were some great Brits in those first couple of years, um, yeah. I think she was third
2: Brit. Third Brit. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, probably, certainly up there with being one of the greatest female ultra runners of, of all time. Most definitely. It's very kind to give us, uh, give us her time. Uh, so El- Eleanor Robinson, uh, absolutely incredible, incredible athlete who's done it all, really, from marathons all the way up to... I think six days and on a thousand miles. Oh,
1: one of the things that I love, Daz, is that our, our research team is usually on point. <laughs> and, but we learned a few new things, didn't we? Firstly, the Eleanor actually came down from six-day events. yeah. Whereas we were thinking, oh my God, how have you just rocked up and done a Spartathlon? You know, Eleanor had already competed in some pretty incredible events Uh, and yeah she continued throughout her career to really switch up a thousand miles six days fast 100k's fast 100k's representing and succeeding in world championships all the time keeping her kids on the inside of the track feeding them sweets which seems legendary
2: in itself doesn't it absolutely absolutely yeah yeah we should put her on shouldn't we let's get her on daz Welcome to episode eight of the oh. Legends of Sportathlon podcast. Uh, British ultra running legend Eleanor <laughs> Robinson, Eleanor. Thank you so much for joining us. We're we're really excited and and so pleased that you've agreed to to speak to us for for a little while. Thank you.
0: Oh no, that's fine. Um, ultra running uh, and running has been my life, so. Uh, you're probably going to have to shut me up rather than anything else. <laughs> Once no, I, I get started all. talking about running, then, you know, we can go on forever. Absolutely. That's brilliant. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, Eleanor, you um,
2: you actually competed in the very first edition of, uh, of Sportathlon in, in, in 80, 80, Is that right? In
0: 1983, the end of September. The the main thing about the the first one that really stands out for me uh, is the difficulty I actually had in being accepted into the race. Okay. Um, because the whole ethos of this race was based on a military event, the Greek uh-huh. organisers were very much against having a female competitor and it was only due to the intervention of the male ultra runners that i was able allowed to compete uh, so i didn't know until the very last minute really that i was actually going to be going to greece um, so I, I did no specific preparation for this event um, and the the other thing was too that it was very very early on in my career so i think it was only the second international invite i got the previous easter i'd gone to vienna for a 24-hour race and that was my first ever invitation um, to you know uh, for as a r- ultra runner to run abroad and i as you can imagine was uh, over the moon really and it was uh, only when i got to vienna and started talking to the other competitors that i actually realized that they there were these events going on all over the world or in a great part of the world that i had no knowledge of i you know it was all completely new to me absolutely i um i had no idea what i was doing all i was there for was just to run from a to b um, so, you know, the whole thing was hugely exciting and and I have no idea what I was letting myself in for. <sighs> Absolutely none. But I've always, throughout my career, taken the opportunity to do different things and, and whatever has come up, if possible, I've said yes to. So you know, just, just say yes and go and have a go. And the Spartathion w- w- was very much in that ilk. It was just, wow, you know, I knew about the historic event. I, you know, appreciated the ethos behind the event and the, and the history of it. I'd never been to Greece before, uh, let alone Athens, and the opportunity to, to just travel and to see another part of the world. Uh, combined with with the opportunity to, to run was was amazing. So I just went out there with absolutely no idea what I was going into. I knew that there was a a big hill to go up and down the <laughs> other side, but other than that, you know, I was very much in ignorance of of, of anything.
2: How had you How had you heard about it, Eleanor? Were you were you in the sort of circle of John Toden and, and yes.
1: The-
0: yeah, um, John Foden was very friendly with Malcolm Campbell, who uh, who lived uh, in Grantham and not too far away from John at the time. They were big pals, and Malcolm was an runner himself, and he's he, well, he actually started the the IAU and newsletter and was heavily was the mainstay of British ultra-running from an admin point of view. I mean, he also ran, um, uh, and he and I had some interesting races. Uh, (laughs) Did you win, uh, Eleanor? (laughs) Yes. But he sort of became the... I suppose people would call it nowadays a manager, in the sense that he was the contact... So he would uh, hear from uh, um, ultra-running people abroad, oh, we're going to put this race on, do you think you could find people who are interested in coming? We can offer them uh, airfare or travel expenses and accommodation, and, you know, if you can get people together. So it was just a question of Malcolm ringing people up, saying, look, there's this event going on, and, and he rang me he said oh you know he said do you fancy going to Greece there's a a, um, a race across the mountains called the Spartathlon Athens to Sparta oh great yeah I knew all about Athens to Sparta I used to teach history for a time and and obviously that with the um, Olympic uh, uh, connotations was always something that I, um, I, w- I I used to teach so, I knew the, uh, the, the, the historical aspect of it, and the whole thing just sounded really interesting and fun. And um, so, of course, you know, I immediately said, yeah, of course I will, you know, well, um, that sounds great. And he got together a good number of British competitors, and in fact, it tells me in my programme there were 51 of us and the majority of them were British or Greek competitors. There there were a few, a New Zealander, Yugoslav, an Austrian, you know, French, Belgium, this USA, Polish, you know, so there was a good scattering of international competitors, a lot of them extremely good. Uh, you know the top runners of the day uh, plus you know uh, a smattering of others i mean there are a few greek runners who never run anything more than a marathon <laughs> including Janos kouras i must say <laughs> so it, it it was a huge event of at the time and of course the other the main point of the spartathlon event was the emergence of yannis and you know he just blew the the, the race apart uh, he finished so far in front of everybody else that he was accused of cheating, of getting on a motorbike. Now that would have been quite possible. The I, I've not been back to the Spartathlon, but obviously I've read accounts of the present-day setup, which is. A million miles away from what we had as a race and you know no aid stations no backup no uh, you know there was a bottle of water left at the side of the road and the <laughs> people leg got the biggest street you know what i mean and um, that sort of thing so uh I, I, and there were no obviously there was no tracking devices there was no chip timing so it was very very unsophisticated event compared with what is going on nowadays so it was not inconceivable for a local person who and Yanis was he knew the the route like the back of his hand he knew the mountains so it wasn't inconceivable that that could have happened and of course nobody knew him other than as a reasonable marathon a good marathon runner but not elite Um, 223 I think was probably about his best um, and he wasn't known outside of Greece. So there were huge question marks about his performance. But the race itself was, uh, I, I mean, the build-up to the race was great because we were there a few days before. And, uh, you know, there was quite a lot of hype con- connected with it. And um, uh, and there were quite stringent cut-offs. So out of the 51 competitors, I think 17 of us finished. I was the only lady taking part and uh, I can, I know I finished with, my feet were in a dreadful state at the end because of course I got on a pair of what would have been trail shoes of that, that Time, but of course, there was a lot of road that 50 mile, the first 50 miles to Corinth was all on pavements and paved roads, and running that in trail shoes was not great on the feet. Um, and then we got there was a, a, a cut off at Corinth which a lot of people failed. Um and uh, I can remember going through villages where they were having parties. They seemed to have an all day party for the, you know, uh, and the runners going through were just sort of incidental. <laughs> you grabbed a drink or you grabbed uh, stuff to eat, which wasn't, which wasn't to my liking. I mean, I know a lot of ultra runners can eat anything that's put in front of them, but the, f- the food wasn't, for me anyway, wasn't uh, very palatable. I can remember getting certainly getting very dehydrated because, as I say, they, they, you know, there was just literally a big bottle of water left at the side of the road, and, uh, and and that you just helped yourself as you went past. I know when we got to the mountain, it was dark, and we had a guide, and it was quite it was quite surreal looking back down the mountain and seeing all these little twinkly lights. As people were climbing up, because obviously we had to carry torches, and and that was quite because um, when when you got, I think about possibly three quarters of the way was runnable, and then you were scrambling. Is that about right?
2: Uh, yeah, the so the mountains are about uh, yeah. mile, mile one hundred. There there is a there is a scrambling track uh, about seventy five seventy six miles. Right. Uh, but the, sorry, but yeah, the mountains about two thirds of the way.
0: Yeah. But I uh, certainly, um, you know, I know that we were allocated a guide to take us up and over the mountain uh, because obviously we had to do that in the dark. I'm not sure what they did about marking the course. I can't remember anything, uh, how it was marked. I know the, the first 50 mile into Corinth was very busy traffic wise. The fumes were horrible and it got hotter. We started at seven in the morning Got hotter as the day went on, and no shade along that that way, and very little in the way of refreshment. I think we might have had a bag drop at various checkpoints too, but again, I'm not absolutely certain of that. And uh, I remember seeing a mountain wolf on uh, as the uh, the daylight came up, and the, you know just stood on the not too far in front of me. Um, but he didn't he didn't bother us at all. But it's just quite I mean, nice. That
2: wasn't Yanis Kouros. Change uh, <laughs> Jane, into a stalker. W- were, were any of the um, original four from the expedition uh, running again in eighties? No.
0: no, 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 no. No, um, no John Foden was there. Um, I'm not sure about the others because uh, John Foden was instrumental in the organisation of the event. But they they weren't running. Um, I'm pretty sure they weren't because they would have been given. Yeah, in the, in the programme. Yeah, they would have been. I mean, I got number one. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, even Yanis was way down the batting order as far as numbers were concerned. So. Oh, John McCarthy. John McCarthy, uh, yeah, he's, oh, he's in. Oh, he wow. Number 25. I have no idea how he got on.
1: He didn't finish, did he? I think there was I don't
0: know. I haven't got a fin- I haven't got a list of uh, finishing um,
1: yeah at did all. You, did you run many miles, Eleanor, with other competitors in the race?
0: Um I don't recall. I mean we got spread out pretty quickly. I can remember going past the cup, Brian Harney uh, on the way to Corinth. Um I passed Patrick Mack going down the hill uh, before Sparta because I was hoping to run with him because I was in a bad way at the time. and But he was in a worse way than me. So we didn't actually run together. I don't I don't really. I, I mean, obviously, at the start, you know, we would have been bunched up for a little while. But I really don't recall running any particular distance with anybody else. Um because the, the top guys were too fast for me and the slow guys were too slow, if you see what I mean. So I was always sort of in the, in, in the middle there. Um, but you, you know, with it being a road race, it was a bit unusual because most of my early races were on the track and there you run with people all the time, Whether because you know, you're constantly passing or being passed by foot. But no, I don't re- recall really running with anybody um, only at, towards the end, the British competitors who'd been timed out came along the last stretch with bottles of water, much to my relief, which I can remember tipping over my head and uh, and drinking. It was very grateful to see uh, to see them and have their support, but of course they weren't allowed to run with me anyway. But no, I, I don't re- recall that. And although I've got. Uh, and and I have always kept a diary. Of course, the actual race is never recorded if it's over the 24 hours or a multi-day race. So, you know, you just got this big blank space in your diary of when you were actually running because, you know, and even when you finish, you're not in the fit state to sit down and write the diary. You just, you know, that's the last thing on your mind. So I haven't actually got any, you know, personal rec anything written down at all to remind me of, of this particular event.
2: Um, How much of a change in, in distance was it, Eleanor, from things you'd done before? Did you,
0: Not massively, no. I mean, no. Uh, I, mean I, I just started out on my altar career. But you see, I started out as a six-day runner and came down in distance.
2: Oh, you started in six days?
0: Yeah, six. there was a six-day race in Nottingham, which was very close to where I lived. I mean, I'd no, I never even heard of ultra distance running. At at the time in in the early 80s, I was focusing on being a marathon runner because the women were just starting to be accepted into marathons. I don't know whether it was Avon or Evian Water, but there was, I I suspect it was Avon, um, sponsored a women, a British women's marathon squad. And the right. top 10 marathon runners, top 10 women, were uh, invited to join this squad. And uh, I think at the time I was ranked number 12. And I just thought, wow, you know, I wonder if I could ever think of making the squad. Um, and so that was my intention. I was going to, you know, I was, I was aiming at being a marathon runner and um how i i actually got into it was there was a um a tw- i was intending running a marathon on the, this particular weekend down in leicester and a group of uh, three of us from my club at the time Sutton in ashfield were going to do this marathon at leicester and then i noticed that there was a little bit in our local newspaper nottingham evening post which was said there was going to be this um 12 hour race on the university track at Clifton. And uh, the organisers were accepting people to run any distance from the marathon to the full 12 hours. So you could just go along and run basically whatever. I, I think it was just to make the field up. The, the race had been put on as a sort of uh, training run for the six day race at Nottingham, which was gonna take place the, in a few months time in November. And I saw this and I thought, oh, a marathon on the track, that's something different. And as I said to you before, I was always looking for different things and different experiences. And, uh, and I thought, well, and plus the fact it's at Nottingham. And at the time my three children were, were quite small. And I thought, oh, well, they could play in the middle of the track, and yeah. I, them while I'm running this marathon, you see. So it all sounded really good. My three, uh, two other uh, teammates, two male, were also interested. So we went down and, and, and entered this um, this 12-hour race. Uh, I went with the intention of running a marathon. I enjoyed it so much I just kept going and, um, <laughs> and it, it was a nice day and the kids were happy you know it's you know happy, happy yeah. by and so I took the opportunity and um,
2: Did you give the kids some stuff from the aid station somewhere uh, some no, delic- no,
0: no i took my tent and i took a big box of food and and it was great because they could help themselves they could have what they wanted because mum was busy too busy to keep checking on what they were having and 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 they would you know pass me for bits of food and and, and that sort of thing and and it was just a big a big game really and uh, it was during that particular run race that I broke three women's world records that I knew nothing about, and in fact, I thought the race organizers was having a joke when he told me that I was about to you know, break the I think it was a 40 mile world re, no 50 mile world record. And oh, don't be daft, you know. And of course. Ultra runners, on, certainly on the track, we just it was just a big laugh and a joke and people were, you know, uh, having a good time. And I said, oh, don't be silly. That's, you know, no idea about world records. So never crossed my mind. Anyway, at the end of that, I ended up with three world records that I knew nothing about. And I finished second in the race. And the race organizer was also involved in the six-day race, and he said to me, "Look, uh, how about having a go at the six-day race?" And I thought, "Oh, yeah, well, running for six days." And um, yeah, why not?" But they qualifying to enter the six-day race was you had to have run 100 mile in 24 hours. And I'd never done a 24-hour race. So, uh, and they wanted to set one up just for me to run a solo 24 hour. And I said, no, no way. am I going to do that. So plus the fact that, you know, I, I, I don't even know what I should be doing training wise. I'm, I'm training for marathons and you know, I, I don't, this is all a new setup to me. I said, no, I, I'm not game for that. I need, to for, for once in my life, I was being sensible. I'm not quite sure how, but, it, <laughs> you know, so I said, no, I'm not, um, I'm I'm not prepared to do that. But what I will do is I'll run the next 24 hour race. And there was one that November. In fact, I turned a veteran during the course of that weekend. Um, I turned 35 while I was running this 24 hour. And I became the first woman to win a mixed race in, in this country. Uh, during that race I I think I ran 124 miles and the reason why I won it actually was the weather was absolutely awful in the night and all the all the sensible folk packed up and went to bed for a few hours (laughs) but there were three or four of us on the track that were aiming for this 100 miles so we kept going and and because I kept going you know uh, I happened to to win the race, much to the embarrassment of the race organiser whose trophy was a male runner, you know. (laughs) Uh, But so I'd done that 24 hour uh, and on the back of that I got invited to Austria to run this 24 hour in Vienna. So I'd sort of, uh, you know, the hundred and twenty hundred was sort of about the limit and I was training, really, for the six-day race. And I, when I saw this part I just thought, oh, it's a good training run and, uh, you know, it's all mileage for the six-day race, which I was going to do in, in a few months after that. My mileage at that time, were, you know, wasn't wasn't mega by any stretch. You know, you build up very slowly to these sort of things.
2: So uh, it sounds like you had a, a pretty rapid introduction into... Yeah. Uh, some pretty hardcore uh, ultra ultra events.
0: Um, <laughs> well, yeah, but maybe they they didn't seem horrible. I wouldn't have. Well, I suppose I wouldn't have been interested in doing them either. just I just enjoyed them, and it was something new. And... No, no,
2: not not horrible. I mean, I mean, as in tough, tough, like proper. Oh. You went from, <laughs> yeah, from sort but... of fast, fast marathon running into proper hard ultra running, like really quite quickly, by the sounds yeah. of it, which is.
0: Well, I, I've always been attracted to things that are difficult. Right. Easy stuff is, yeah, it's not worth bothering with. It's got to be, it's to be uh, hard to be worthwhile. So, uh, you know, ultras were made for me. I think, in 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 many ways, uh, in a lot of ways, they weren't. You know, I was never, I was never very good at sleeping, and I was absolutely hopeless at eating. I suppose mentally, I'd got the toughness and the um, the drive and the focus and, you know, the mental attributes were all there. Um, and it took a few years, you know, build up for the, uh, the, the physical capabilities, but I was always better at endurance stuff than speed stuff.
2: Where would you place that um, kind of mental ability versus physical ability in terms of level of importance in
0: them? Um... Well, I I mean, a lot of people would say 60-40. Uh, and some people would say 60% mental, 40% physical. And, and other people would say the other way around, you know, 40% physical. But I, I don't know. I mean, without their mental attributes, it doesn't matter how fit you are or how physically uh, well-trained you are, if you are not strong mentally you haven't the hope in help of of doing it, especially the longer stuff because there are times when it's very grim you know and or the weather's bad or you know something hurts or know things are just not going right Uh, and if you can hang on in there and get over that rough patch then it does come good again and and even your body can sort of heal itself on 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 the run if you give it chance um i mean if you just push too far if you go right over the edge then you've had it but if you can just you just have to know your capabilities really and, and how far you can push yourself before you say, hang on, you know, I've got to take a rest here, otherwise I'm not going to finish this thing. Um, so uh, to me, the you know, the mental attributes are have got to be high up there because as I say, it does not matter how physically fit you are, if you cannot keep this your, yourself going, then you you've no chance. Not with the long stuff. I mean you, You know, I mean, I'm not talking about 100 Ks, which to me are just an extended marathon. (laughs) You know, um, I mean, I wouldn't really class ultras until you get to the 100 mile mark, to be honest. Um, But as I say, you know, I come, I started off with six days and came down. Uh, I mean, I always did the long support. What I mean, I came down. I ran the shorter races when they start having world championships and events that, that gave it the status that obviously it it, it should have. Um, I I used to like to have a go at those as well because um, I, I like to race the best in the world, and if I had to race fifty k to do that, then you know, so I would. But um, I was obviously always better at the the longer the distance.
2: Yeah, you came came into your own.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Eleanor, you, I mean, your amazing records still, you know, incredibly highly today. And we're seeing, you know, ever the popularization of ultra marathons, which, you know, it's really exciting, especially, you know, to see more and more, you know, females doing mm-hmm. astonishing things. But your records are still there. How, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that?
0: Well, yeah, I'm quite amazed in a way because you know when i was running it, it was all very amateurish in in a lot of ways there was no real science there i mean they were starting to develop sports drinks lepin was one of the first ones uh, but they tasted awful and uh, and i'm not sure whether
2: they still, they still do it. i wonder they still do
0: yeah uh, <laughs> um so there there was nothing that, and shoes we just ran i just ran in whatever shoes i got i mean i was i was lucky in that i was sponsored by new balance but i just whatever shoe they sent me and you know i ran in fortunately i could get away with it um but i mean they kept sending me you know lightweight marathon shoes which i, I never used for uh, for ultra run, running but i still got some you know brand new like we has been used from the 1980s, in, you know, in boxes in the in the attic. But, um, so, the, you know, certainly shoe-wise, I mean, uh, there wasn't anything that was specific developed for ultra-running. Um, and even, even kit, you know, as uh, things have moved on astonishingly and chip timing. I mean, you were very reliant on your, on, on your lap recorder when you were running. And uh, Andy Milroy, who's a statistician, told me that I was probably the person who lost more world records than you know most people had because of irregularities in, in, in lap recording. Uh, and they were scrutinised very strictly. And anything that was the slightest bit iffy would be thrown out. And um, I I can remember because in the six day races, in in order to sort of relieve the boredom, I suppose, if if you could call it that, we used to do all sorts of madcap things, you know, and we'd have sprint laps or we'd have uh, laps with, you know, tossing the pancake or, or any sort of daft thing. There was always a comedian in the race to liven things up. And of course with the track race you can do that uh, and of course you know so what would happen was your lap recorder you'd be recording your laps consistent laps and then all of a sudden there'd be this fast <laughs> lap, uh which was actually when we were all decided that we we're going to do a 400 meter sprint and they just you know that would be thrown out because oh there must have been a mistake here nobody you know all these others are very consistent then suddenly we get this fast one so we'll discount that and uh, of course when i realized what was happening i always used to say to my lap recorder make sure you record that as a fast lap a sprint lap otherwise you know um but there all sorts of things like that would happen but it was all, I was all grateful and I really, really enjoyed the whole of my uh, running career. And um, and, and uh, it took me all over the world to places I'd never have got to otherwise and, uh, and, and did all sorts of, you know, things like, you know, running Death Valley and doing the Thousand Mile Race and running along the Danube. And, yeah, you know, it was just. Amazing! Uh, I'm just so grateful that I was able to take the opportunity and to arrange to be able to have that sort of lifestyle. But uh,
2: oh, uh, yeah. absolutely amazing, Eleanor. <laughs> I, was, I was reading. Uh, I was reading um, some some things about your career uh, earlier, and I think the, the Death Valley one is fascinating. So, yeah. I. Read that you you were you ran the Death Valley course before it was even a race, and and that apparently it was done as part of a bet between nah, the yeah organizers. yeah and yeah the, again, the, it was... the bet was a pint of English ale that's what <laughs> well, I read
0: well not for me because I wasn't uh, I've never uh, partaken of alcohol in any way shape or form <laughs> oh. no.
2: Well, the Eleanor the was in trouble. Eleanor. What I also read about this, sorry, this is brilliant, is that the guy who made the bet uh, subsequently pulled out of it when he heard that Eleanor was the opposition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened was they, um, there was this a British guy living and working in the States called Ken, oh, I know his name off the top of my head and he kill me for this. Ken Crutchlow. I had no idea this this guy uh, a businessman, um, but into all sorts of weird things like he'd rode across the Atlantic and uh, you know um, all sorts of strange uh, bets and challenges and things and um, he got into this bet with a with an American about running Death Valley, and they challenged each other i can 't really remember how the the first challenge Fell through. I can't remember actually how it all transpired but uh, one of the guys who was involved said he would come up with a female partner and the bet would be on if Ken Crutchlow could find a, a, a woman partner. So the first thing I knew about it was there was a full page article in Athletics Weekly, you know the um, Athletics magazine? And it was sort of titled "Wanted: British uh, Female to Run Death Valley." Well, I, that immediately, wow, what's what's all this about? You know, and it turned out that this American businessman was looking for a partner to run Death Valley, and um, he actually hired an office in London and was going to come over and interview all these prospective candidates who wanted to run across Death Valley with him. (laughs) And uh, of course the only person who actually uh, responded to the advert was me. (laughs) (laughs) So of course he immediately uh, cancelled his office and um, changed his plans and it was only um, afterwards when uh, you know he, he was obviously talking to some of the American people and they said do you realize who you've got as a partner and he said well, I don't know this one called Eleanor Adams you know and he said oh, she's only you know the world's number one at this this <laughs> <laughs> So of course that was it. I was quizzing, right? Yeah, you're on. But I didn't. Um, uh, it was only when I got to the States that they told me that that I needed to run with Ken. And having seen Ken, who was slightly uh, on the heavy side <laughs> and uh, hadn't done much running, and I just flatly refused. I said, "There's no way." that I'm going to run uh, you know I'm, I'm here to run as fast as I can between these two points and I'm not going to be constrained by anybody by having to run with somebody else so I just flatly refused to do it under those terms and so they came to an agreement the the American pair and Ken that we would do uh, combined times Right. So, uh, I mean, the actual team race and the bet and all the rest of it, I was not the slightest bit interested in. I didn't. I me. Mean, all I was interested in was what I could do. Could I actually run? I mean, I'd never been to Death Valley before. I'd never been subjected to those sort of temperatures. And, of course, the other extreme was that, you know, you're going from the lowest point to the highest point, uh, 14,000 feet. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine how high 14,000 feet was, but I knew there'd be snow on the top, you know. awful um, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, So it was just, you know, the enormity of the challenge. As I said to you before, I was always interested in things that were difficult and uh, the enormity of this was, you know, it just appealed to me and I thought, yeah, you know, I want to go and see what I can do. And I wasn't interested in all the, you know, the, the sideshow, if you like, of this, um, of this bet and this team race. And, um, uh, uh, and of course, in the end, I mean, uh, he was several days behind us. So uh, you know, we lost the team race substantially, <laughs> which sort of um, appeased the American couple, really. But um, you know, it I didn't. It it wasn't of any interest or consequence for me. I just wanted to know what I could do. And, and the opportunity, it gave me the opportunity to go and, and, and have a go at something that I would never have been able to do otherwise. And yeah, I mean, tough, tough as hell it was. Um,
2: yeah,
0: that's, that's... I made a drastic error, which was completely due to naivety. The rules of the event of running Death Valley is you have to do it under the worst possible conditions so it could only take place in july and august and you had to set off at um, crack of dawn six o'clock in the morning you know there's no running through death valley in the middle of the night when the sun's not out um so you know the conditions were were um, were awful and i'd never experienced anything like that before Uh, And then, of course, you got the extreme at the top of Mount Whitney. We were into snowstorms and and, and goodness knows what. Um, So it was this. uh, uh, And again, you know, I ran the whole thing in one pair of shoes, which, um, you know, which probably wouldn't happen nowadays, put it that way but uh, what happened was um, Ken wanted to, uh, there was a motel at the end of Death Valley and he said oh we'll take a room in the in the motel and you know I can use it to have a sleep and you know I was going to be there in what was it 50 miles so I don't know seven hours maybe so I, uh, I was absolutely desperate to get out of the heat of the day and went into this motel room with beautiful air conditioning and you know, I I was in there for half an hour and when I came out and the heat that hit me as I opened the door nearly knocked me over, Uh, I kid you not, you, you know, I just, I had no idea, absolutely no idea. Uh, what a stupid thing that was to do. I mean, the American couple who came along who'd been quite a way behind me up until that point, um, they took a rest there, but they sat in the shade of the tree outside. Um, and of course, you know, so when they'd had their break, they, they were up and running again. I mean, I could hardly put one foot in front of the other, you know, I could hardly stand up straight. Um, and and you, then you were faced with a slog from Death Valley, um, uphill out of the valley towards Lone Pine. And uh, I can remember w- really trudging up this hill, feeling like death warmed up. And actually for the only time in the race, seeing in the not too far distance, the American pair behind me, um, but uh, I just walked up the hill and of course I, it was evening time and it was getting cooler uh, until I recovered and and, um, and then I was all right after that. But I mean, it was just that, that elementary mistake, which was complete naivety um, that could have, that could have cost me the, uh, cost me dearly, but it, you know, I managed to, to survive it and, and recover from it. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just, yeah, it was great. And, of course, the opportunity to see Death Valley and Yosemite and and, and, and go through uh, that area was was just amazing. And all the way on the road, you could see Mount Whitney in front of you with the snow on the top you go, oh, I've got to get up there. I've got to go up there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Well,
2: That's incredible. And did that subsequently become a race pretty soon after? Okay.
0: It was, yeah, I think uh, that sparked off the, um, s- somebody's interest in putting a race on. But they actually, uh, and I think it might still be going, but yeah. the the race never went to the top of Mount Whitney. They went as far as Whitney Portals, which is um, where the road finishes. There's, a, there's a, a road that goes up to that point and a bit of a, I think it's a, campsite there. Um, And then it's you're then on the trail and you're just scrambling. Um, It's pretty rough going up. I mean, I had to have a guide with me from Whitney Portals. We were given the guide to show us the way up and to make sure we were safe. Uh, I mean, obviously you couldn't help or what have you, but it was just there as a safety precaution. but the, the race always finished at Whitney Portals because that was you know the end of the, the road, um, and uh, so that you know the, as far as I'm aware, nobody ever races right to the top of the mountain anymore. But it no. wasn't ours was like a private uh, challenge event. It wasn't a an official, or you know, organised race. As
2: such. You say the the point of English ale was not forthcoming. At the end.
0: not for me no <laughs> as much water as I could get down I would think but a tea yeah, or the coffee tea was, tea was always coffee, my yeah. beverage and yeah. if, I could, if I could get a cup of tea I was happy
2: <laughs> yeah a message for our, our American listeners you need to you need to square that one up
0: <laughs> yeah. oh dear but, uh, no, I, we, yeah, yeah, I, I've done some really um, interesting events throughout uh, my career. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. I've thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it.
2: Can I just quickly ask you, Eleanor, I'm fascinated by this, but I think you had, like, a really big rivalry um, female runner, is that right, in, in some quite big, big races over the years?
0: A rivalry with...
2: A rivalry I didn't quite. I read about earlier, but I didn't quite catch her name. So I should have done my research better. Um, I think you were you were back backwards and forwards with the. I don't know if she was Australian. I think in some races in Australia you were.
0: No, I. There were there were several uh, female competitors, but it depended over what sort of distance. I think I was the only, probably the only one that ran all the distances Uh, i I mean i was still running on the track for my club i'd run 800 meters the mile 3000 meters you know in club races Um, i competed at a high level in marathons and um i ran all the championships from you know 50k to a thousand miles and i can't think of any other female that actually span that sort of distance right. at top level. I mean, obviously I wasn't top level at you know, middle distance on the track, um, but so at different distances, there were different um, rivals and you know, six day competitors were not the same as 100K competitors. Um, uh,
2: so the, the one I'm thinking of is uh, Donna Hudson,
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Donna was a six-day runner, okay. so yeah, we did uh, we did compete a lot over the six days.
2: Right, yeah, um,
0: that seems to yeah, okay. Yeah. And Trayson was their trail runner. Um,
2: yeah, uh, so that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Did you did you race against Anne Trayson?
0: I, I did. I um, I when I won the World Hundred K Championship in Duluth. I raced Anne, and um, she uh, she was a favourite, outstanding favourite. And um, but we had dreadful weather in that race, uh, which obviously was the same for us all. And I beat yeah. her quite comfortably in that particular race. I mean, she went on in in in. Uh, Future years to um, to beat me over 100k, but I never raced her over anything other. Um, because 100k came to be the championship event.
2: Right. Um, I, I...
0: It was chosen because it was very popular in Europe. It was the most popular distance, ultra distance race on the calendar. And so it was logical that um, the world champ, you know, when they were able to get the IAAF to agree to a world championships for ultras, that they would select the ultra distance that was um, competed for most. And and that was a hundred kilometer race because there were loads of them in Europe. And um, a lot of them were sort of local events where people could take 24 hours you know they they would walk around the villages for, and, and have a 24-hour time limit but then there was a handful of people that would run them um, and a bit like LDWA events started off in Britain and um, so the 100k was selected as the as the first world championship right. and when I heard that and realized that there was this opportunity to A, get a British vest and B, you know, run a uh, designated official world championship, then, um, you know, then I wanted to be part of it. So the, the, the 100K World Championship became sort of the most important for, for, for a number of years. Uh, and then they gradually brought in um, the 24-hour and uh, the 1,000-mile.
2: That um, well, was a 1,000-mile IAU event.
0: It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was run on a track oh. in Australia, yeah. You can do
1: that, David sometime, yeah. don't you? Bring it on, yeah. <laughs>
0: 15 day time limit on that one so um
1: did you ever um consider running the John O'Grope to Land's End Eleanor?
0: Well I did and I was very keen on it uh, at the time but I couldn't get sponsorship Uh, there was no way I could afford to do it with all that was entailed and I couldn't really I couldn't the, offer, uh, the opportunity wasn't wasn 't there for me in the sense that there wasn 't a race that I could take part in and um, and I really didn 't like the idea of of trying to get sponsors and and, and you know begging people for money for something that I wanted you know I wanted to do for my enjoyment just didn't seem right really that I should be approaching people and say look you know will you fund me to do this because I want to do it you know pure and simple, and I couldn't afford to do it myself and I'd also got lots of other opportunities to go to organise races and still do lots of different things. So, although I would have liked to have done Land's End Journey Groves, it it just didn't happen for me. Um, It was always there and if somebody, you know, if a race had been put on, then I would have been there like a shot. Um, I did do it as part of a relay team with Rotherham Harriers
2: Hello.
0: and uh, really really enjoyed that but that was great and i ran as many legs as i we were in teams of four and um whenever any of my teammates said oh this hurts or that oh I'll, I'll run your leg i'll run your leg the four mile stints weren't you know so if, if i could do three or four stints within our particular stage then then i would so uh yeah i i, I mean i'm not I love the idea of point-to-points, and I've done a lot on the bike as well since I stopped um, doing long-distance runs. I've, uh, the idea of running the length or the width of, of, of different places has always appealed to me. But the thing, and I supported Sharon um, Gator on her record run last year. Yeah. And the thing that I think should be done with the Land's End John O'Groats is that there should be an official route for record purposes, which is not necessarily the fastest route because, you know, I mean, the roads that Sharon ran, it was manic having to run down the Whatever it is, A34 and the A7, with the traffic, it it was insane, absolutely, and it was you know as insane as me running Sydney to Melbourne down the Hume Highway. It shouldn't be that run, you know. In order to get the record, runners have got to take that sort of risk. You know, it it, it it's just not right. There should be uh, an official, organised, recognised route that takes the runners onto the quieter roads, the, um, a safe route between the two places. And that should be the route that everybody runs. Um, you know, and that way you can control things as regards uh, uh, records, you can control the safety of the competitors. Because at the moment, it, it it's ridiculous, it's absolutely, it is and um you know uh, when i as i say when i was with sharon last year i just thought you know this should not be going on runners should not be having to run down you know dual carriageways and with with traffic uh, hurtling past their ears it's crazy absolutely crazy um, I mean the police tried to pull her off the road and um but of course they can't, you know, all they could say is, you know, you shouldn't be on here. And we say, well we know, but this is the quickest route. <laughs> you know, um we you know, we're not silly, we know, but it, it, it's a risk that that we're taking and 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 that everybody that wants to, to try for it takes. Whereas, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. I think there should be a set route that everybody that wants to do for the record, uh, you know, can and, and that would solve an awful lot of
1: problems. One of the, my final questions was um, what was your what was the experience like running down the final street towards the statue of,
0: of Leonardo. Peter?
1: What was it like? Oh,
0: three, yeah I mean it's the same really with any of these tough races. You know, when you see that, that finish line, um, it, it is just amazing. I mean, especially if you're, well, I suppose if you, just the fact that you've finished, that you've done it, you, you've put yourself through whatever it's taken to get there. You know, the relief the, is enormous. And um, obviously, if you've done really well, then that, is uh, a bonus. But the main aim in, in, in all these events is to actually finish, is to do it, to complete whatever the challenge is. You just want to do it to the best of your ability on, you know, at that time. And, you know, sometimes you're lucky and things go really right for you and you can have a superb run and do a world record time or whatever, you win the event. But at the end of the day, You know, you enter these events because you want to know whether you are actually capable of doing it. And the fact that, you know, obviously when you see that finishing line in sight, you know that, yeah, you know, I've said I've achieved what I set out to do and all right, it might not have been as good as i wanted or you know i might not have done as well or this happened or that happened but nevertheless i've overcome all those obstacles and i'm actually here and uh, you know i think that's the same for whatever race you do um all right ultra races are a lot tougher than some other events but you know, um, it's just that sense of achievement. I think that you, that you have accomplished what you set out to do.
1: Did, did they let you kiss the kiss the foot
0: at the end? Actually, I was really lucky because um, they had a bowl that we all filled with water that we all drank from. And I pleaded with the race organisers for me to keep the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we can't do it anyway. They gave in, so I have got the original.
2: Oh no! wow! No way!
0: <laughs> no. So uh, they were very reluctant, but she, yeah, they gave way in the end and said, "Yeah, oh, okay, you can, you can do this." So, um, so yeah, it was uh, it was quite uh, quite an emotional event, one way and another. You know, for, from the fact that you know it was difficult to get into the race to start off with, and then the conditions of the race, and, and and overcoming all those sort of obstacles to actually get there, and not only to get there, but obviously to do really well as as well. You know, Um it was. Uh, Did you and... have any kind of ceremony? Oh, it was amazing, sir. You know, there was three or four different ceremonies at the end of the race. It, it seemed to go on forever, really. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, it was, a, it, it was a good, a good trip and an amazing experience, especially as I was just starting out on my ultra running yeah. career. You know, um, it, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it was quite a special event, that one. And it turned out to be, I mean, obviously at the time we didn't know that it was still going to be going 35 years later. Um, and you know lots and lots of people have done that route now but um, as I say only I think 17 of us finished so we were sort of you know an exclusive little club at the time. (laughs) What
1: what was uh, Don Ritchie like Eleanor?
0: Don? Ah he's an amazing guy Um, I mean sadly he died only a few years ago Uh, I mean he he really was a short ultra runner you know 100k 24 hours yeah. um i think it took him three goes to do the Land's End john O'Groats and finish it yeah he uh, i suppose the the early ultra runners were i mean if i say amateur i'm not i don't mean that in any sort of derogatory sense but yeah. things were much less serious in our day we did it for fun you know it, we weren't trying to make a living out of it i mean that was impossible for anybody and i mean only Yanis i think would have would have made anything and even he wouldn't have he couldn't live on it so it was all a bit of a game really you know i mean it was it was sport you know in in the purest sense of the word and and it was something that was our leisure our pastime our hobby whereas today it all seems deadly serious and and controlled and i think i would probably have the best time really to be honest i mean i know i you know i had to juggle things between work and bringing up a family and and, and living a normal life as well as training three times a day and running mega mileage but it all seemed to fit into place and it all worked okay, you know. Uh, It was just a different lifestyle than what most people were experiencing, really. And uh, as I say, today's runners seem to have to take things so, so much more seriously than we ever did.
1: You you rest assured, Eleanor, that Darren and I don't take things very (laughs) (laughs) seriously.
0: I tell you what, you will be, it was not... Unknown at the uh age stations in six day races for them to have beer, that was uh, very that was common good. to have beer on the age stations. Yeah. yeah, you enjoy that. And the yeah. chip van and on, on the top of the track, the <laughs> chip van would come <laughs> along, or you know, whatever. Um,
1: That's why the records are so good back then,
0: it was just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <beer>. <laughs> <laughs> probably but i yeah i mean the old traditions records then were good but so were they general road running you know i mean i i find it incredible really that that um people that our top runners are, are doing just what our our good club runners would be churning out the same sort of times as our you know, uh, uh, as our international runners are doing nowadays and thinking uh, of the
2: top I end. That, uh, Actually, that's one question I wanted to ask you, Is it, would you say the overall standard is actually, like, whilst it might have got a bit faster at the, at the top end, um, in terms of depth of standards, is, is, oh, is it man. what?
0: It's, um, I mean, when I started running marathons, if you weren't able to break three hours, you weren't allowed in the race. You know there was a three hour time limit at, at three hours the the course will be packed away, and they were put on the entry forms you know limited to runners capable of running three hours oh. if you weren 't capable you weren 't uh, you were discouraged from entering and and the, you know uh, you could finish obviously under your own steam, nobody could pull you off the road, but you weren 't included in the race so um, you know, you wouldn't enter a marathon if you couldn't run three hours. Now, you know, if you look at the results today, how many runners actually beat three hours? Not, not many, wanna... Eleanor. Not many, really? not many. But not many. <laughs> um, so, you know, the I mean it's great, uh, don't get me wrong, I loved the fact that running nowadays is acceptable. Uh, and and you see runners everywhere. I, I just think it's brilliant. I love to, uh, especially women as well, because this is one of the big things throughout my career is, is the change in attitude towards women runners. Um, you know, I, I mean, for instance, a Spartathlon, where, you know, they didn't want me to compete because I was female. Um, when I started out running, you know, we used to get cat, not only the women, but the men used to get catcalled in the street if, they saw, if somebody was seen running down. It, it was unusual to see somebody out in vest in and shorts running, whether they be male. And if you were female, it was even more unusual. Whereas now, you know, you look out the window and every few minutes somebody goes by, depending on where you live. But, you know, society has changed so much in my lifetime and sport, and particularly with its attitude to women, the the, the changes have been absolutely uh, huge, huge. And and, and that I find is a real interest, Um, you know, but on the other hand, it has had an impact on the top end, because as I say, when I started out, only the serious competitors would take part and uh, they were people that would train you know every day religiously just to make their club team let alone anything else i'm quite quite astonished when people say to me you mean to say you run every day (laughs) you know i said well i've always run every day what you know Why not? Oh, oh, I couldn't possibly manage to run more than three times a week. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not decrying that whatsoever. But as I say, when I started out, the competitors, the members of the running clubs were deadly serious and they trained really specifically for what they were doing. They weren't there to run for health or fitness or... Any of these, which you know, uh, w- which we obviously promote nowadays, they were there to compete. A competition, no? not just to complete. They were there to compete and get the best out of themselves. Whereas I think today people are satisfied with just doing it, yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, they want to go along and have a chat to their mates and and, and make it a social occasion. There was nothing about a social occasion in a, you know, a 10 mile road race or a, you were eyeballs out from, you know, the start. You didn't have breath to say, you know, more than hi to somebody, let alone have a conversation about, you know, how the day's gone. So the whole ethos of sports has changed dramatically since since I began. Um and you know, I've been competing since I was fourteen, so that's an awful number of years ago, being as I'm nearly seventy-five, 70. Sorry? What twenty-five years? Twenty-five, oh, I wish. <laughs> but um yeah, I mean I can remember when I when I started running again after I had my three children, I I can't have run very far. Um and I remember thinking, "Oh God, I can't!" You know, my uh, lungs were heaving, my legs were like jelly, and I thought, "God, I feel like I'm 50." I mean, bear in mind I was only 30 at the time. And when I actually got to 50, and I re- I remembered distinctly, and I thought, "Do you know what? I am 100% more fit now as a 50-year-old than I was then as a 30." Amazing. Um, but you know, as I say, the whole ethos of, of the sport um, and society has just changed. Yeah. The The emphasis no longer is on being the best. It's just taking part. Yeah. We, as I say, uh, the impact has been on the top end, but the bottom end obviously has is, uh, is, is bulged. It's amazing to see how many people are involved and how much they enjoyment and pleasure they get out of exercise, which I, I just think is great to see. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's a,
2: great, a great thing. It's a great thing, yeah. and, and hopefully the, the trend of um, female participation rates in, in ultras mm-hmm. will keep keep going in the right direction. I think mm-hmm. that's a, mm-hmm. that's something that's I know trying to be addressed by various various bodies at the moment. Um, that, that'd be good. It'd be good to see that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Thank you so much. We we really appreciate it. It's been no,
0: that's good. And look at the time. Yeah. Get ready and go for my run now.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a club run on tonight. So um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the next thing. Get changed and out the door.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Thanks ever so much for that, and uh, be in touch.